discipleship is actually something that I don't, I actually don't know how to talk about well as much as it's something I probably talk about a lot. Um, in the sense that it's the most important thing, um, in my view, in Christianity. Um, there's nothing more important than discipleship. Um, and, I, and I actually think that part of the problems... I don't want to eat the mic. Um, oh, that's loud. Is this okay? Wonderful. Uh, <laughs> and awkward. Um, I, I think the lack of discipleship is one of the main reasons for the weakness um, of, of, of Christianity, the weakness of Christianity as a, as a whole, not just in orthodoxy, but as a whole. Um, and I particularly lament it in orthodoxy because the foundation of, of orthodoxy is, is, is tradition, small-t tradition. And in Arabic, um, I think it captures it a little bit better than English in the sense that it's a verb. Um, in English, it's a noun, but in, in Arabic, Taslim, the handing down, it's like it's traditioning, it's an active process. Um, it's not something static, it's a dynamic thing. Um, and that's what's meant when we, when we say things. Like when we, when we talk about you guys teaching kids or you being taught, it's, it's, the question is, who are you being traditioned by, right? Who are you, who are you receiving from? Um, and that's why often you might notice when you ask a servant or a priest or, or somebody, so what do you think about X, Y, or Z, um, often their response will be like, well, what I received is, um, or what I was told is, what I had heard is, 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 is the foundations are discipleship. So I might not speak about this very well, especially because I was given subtopics that weren't where my brain was heading at all, and I'm not angry. Um, but just that, because it wasn't where my brain goes, I don't know if I'll get to say what was in my mind and I might forget. So feel free to... Um, challenge, ask questions, do anything. I'm not going to be offended. I won't. I won't. I won't uh, attack you immediately. Uh, <laughs> um, so before I get into the first lecture, basically the structure of this is going to be um, the first lecture is going to be more of an intro to like what is discipleship and, and a focus on on the Lord, who our our lives center around, um, and then um, the next lecture um, will be about. Um, the slaying of the will, which we'll discuss why that's important. The third one will be following in the way of, of discipleship, which is the cross. And then the last one will be more about um, practical discipleship, about how do I be discipled. Um, so if not everything seems immediately practical to you, um, don't stone me like right away, but like ask what you want. And if it's in a later talk, I'll say coming soon. Um, and if it's not, then I'll just look bad. Um, and without further ado, so I just want to ask you guys some questions before I get into the content. How do you make a decision? Analyze. Analyze what? Pros and cons. Okay, how do you decide a pro and a con? Um, based on data. What does the data tell you that makes you assess pro or con? Money. What's beneficial? I love this game. I will always shoot down anything you say, so never take it offensively. It's very entertaining for me. Um, <laughs> but I am trying to make a point. And when you're occasionally right, I'll, I'll pretend you're wrong. Um, okay, what's beneficial? What helps me closer to my goal? Very nice. I don't usually praise people. Um, what's <laughs> How do you choose your goal? 
What brings me closer to God? Prayer. Okay, what if I were to say, I think that even though this action some might consider wrong, like living with my significant other, um, they make me pray more. What if, what if my significant other with whom I'm fornicating actually is, is religious and is like, we should pray so we can do this and pray Agbeya in the morning? That's actually true facts. Uh, what should so what brings joy to one's heart? We have a philosopher. Uh, <laughs> Ultimately, it comes down to like not necessarily what your heart desires, but what's going to bring you closer to God and what lines up what is laid out in the Bible. So when you have like, oh, he he helps me pray, but we're sleeping together, like. One is good. It's good that he's like bringing you closer to God, but the same action does not align with what is stated in the Bible. Okay, so you're saying I should use the Bible. You should use the Bible and then other things like prayer and guidance. Okay, I can ask another. This one's not a question. This one's just a, a statement, a one-word statement that I just want to see your reaction to. I'm scared to lead it on because I'm going to start laughing before. <laughs> Trump. Okay, that's what I was expecting. Okay. Um, there's a point to this. Um, I promise. I'm not actually trying to get into politics. What do you think of anti-abortion clinic protests? Sorry? I didn't hear Jeremiah. You think it's good? Is everyone agreed? We all think it's good. Like the, the, the rallies around abortion clinics saying this is... Yeah, yeah. No. No. Why? Because there are many people who don't even go in there for abortion, and like they're being ashamed about things that they're not like actually partaking in. I think it's inappropriate to do it around the planet. Okay. Anyone else have an opinion? Agreeing or disagreeing doesn't matter. Judgmental. What's your name? Sorry. Mohammed. I like you. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> judgmental. Okay. <laughs> You think it's judgmental? Yes. Okay, because they're standing there and saying their opinion? Not because they're saying their opinion, but they're forcing their opinion on people that who made mistakes and regret them. But if they don't prevent someone from going in, are they forcing people to make a decision? They're not forcing, but speaking loudly in someone's face is judging. So speaking loudly is judging. Why? In their face, yes. So if I speak loudly, not in their face, it's not judging. No, it's what is, is, is the judging that I'm saying an opinion, though? To my face about my mistake, yes. Is, is it judging to call something a mistake? No. So if they're saying this is a mistake, and that's what they're yelling in your face. I could say it's a mistake and I should not do it, but I should not point out to other people that they should not do it. Okay, Jeremiah. Isn't that what the disciples did when they were going around, you know, preaching the word of God and even what Christ did? I'm not going to answer. I know, I'm, I'm just going to stir yeah. the pot. No, yeah. <laughs> okay. No, fair enough. Um, it also comes down to oftentimes when you have these people outside of clinics doing protests, they aren't just saying like abortion is killing and then like just leave it at that and they're peaceful about it. It's 
people start shouting slanders and actually saying judgments of like, you're an irresponsible person, like you've made horrible choices with your life, like you're a whore, like things like that. And so it's not down to just, oh, is it judgmental being outside of the clinic? It's oftentimes judgment comes along with these actions when people gather around the clinic. So if they didn't say any of those things? If they weren't being judgmental, if they were just stating like If they just said, we believe this is wrong, you have other choices. And they weren't like stopping them from going, like if they weren't physically stopping them like if they're just standing outside and they're like we believe this is wrong Mm -hmm. yes that's fine okay (laughs) what about anti-trump rallies where they say bigot racist and anybody who's a republican is there for this what what about that Still. still judgmental okay just wondering um how do you assess a decision i'm just going to zoom through these to get to the content how do you assess how, like the, 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 what you need to assess to make a decision, I mean, about something. Ask someone. Ask someone? Okay. It's a lot of factors. Not just one person. Not just one? How many? As long as it takes to make up your own mind. Okay. What are the factors? You said this is multifactorial. Never. It depends. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of factors before you make a decision. It depends on what, what you want. And, uh, of course, you have to, as Mohib said, you have to like, ask a lot of people. But first and foremost, you have to ask God about it and pray for it for a while. And while you're assessing your situation, whatever it is, you need to know, okay, if I take this road, what happens? And if I take this road, what happens? And you also, you always have to have... The, the final destination of God at the end of it. Like, is this gonna get any closer to God or not? Whether by serving or by uh, or by doing anything. Like, you can go into a road of work or jobs or whatever that are not, that might just take away from God due to whatever reason it is, environment, people, um, even the type of job that you're doing. So you have to make the decision accordingly to what the situation is, so it's a lot of factors. It's um, I mean, if you're a married, married person, you're taking decisions according to can I, by taking such a decision, pro- still provide for my family, as well as keep them safe and also stay close to God. It's a lot of, it's a lot of factors according to, like, before you assess and, I mean, during the assessment. Mm-hmm. That's how I think about it. Okay. Lena. My question is, what is the decision about? Like, if it's Anything. like, am I going to eat now? That's going to be pretty easy, yes or no. But if it's like a contemplative decision where I have to actually weigh the pros and the cons, and the short-term outcomes and long-term outcomes, that's a different scenario. So does the type of question matter? Yes. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Someone had their hand up. Here, Alex. I mean, Jeremy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just like Alex more than you. <laughs> I think typically, like, yeah, there's, there's a number of factors, but, but ultimately you consider all those factors because you're trying to determine by making this decision, am I doing something simultaneously good and meaningful? So that could be, like you said, for your family and for those around you, or it could be for you. But ultimately, what you're chasing is meaning, and what you're chasing is good because everyone desires to be good unless you're expressing some sort of maliciousness, or maliciousness which I'm assuming typically we're not in that. State. I will neither confirm nor deny. 
Um, I'm going to just give it to a few other questions so I can get going. How do you auto-type change it to trustee? How do you trust someone's candidacy to be a spouse? There is no right answer. There is no right answer? You can think about that one. How do you deal with stress? What makes a joke appropriate or inappropriate for you to laugh at? Like if someone tells a lewd joke at work, do you laugh or not laugh? And how do you decide whether you do or you don't? Or if somebody, I won't go there. Um, How do you deal, your mom is calling David. Um, How do you deal, (laughs) that was funny. How do you deal with somebody who backstabs you? Silence. Silence? I've learned that it it helps. Okay. uh, Either backstabs you or uh, or causes harm to you. Silence. Silence, okay. Anyone else have a response to that? How do you deal with being backstabbed by somebody? I want to know what, what the, the, the answer that is, is genuine to, to you. Depends how many times. Number of times. Is that, is that, what have that said how many times? Oh, okay. <laughs> it's all about numbers for you. Sorry, what, what did you say? How many times? But that's the ideal answer though. Would you do that in real life? Second chances. Go ahead. Uh, we should always be using the discernment of, of the spirit, and so it depends on the context of the situation. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say that there's one right answer at all times for everything, because it depends on the discernment of the Holy Spirit and what is correct in that situation. Okay. Anyone else? Um, I think it's also a matter of determining like what is your relationship with that person and like. Like, is it is it a person who I feel I'm really close to, or is it someone that is kind of distant from me? And then from that point, like, okay, is, if my relationship with this person is super important to me, then I would go with the opposite of silence, and I would probably go with communication. Um, but if they're kind of distant from me, I think I would just kind of, in, like go with silence but also prayer mm-hmm. and in that process okay I'm not going to answer any of them um, and so you might be wondering what this is how this is relevant and hopefully over the, the lecture and through the next few the next few days the next day um, you'll know why so this talk obviously the theme is discipleship and there's a difference between a disciple and an apostle, between Mothitis and, and Apostolos, okay? Because an apostle is somebody who's just sent out, right? So when, 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 when Christ chose, he chose disciples, and he also had 70 apostles, and, and, and then people became apostles, right? Those who were sent. But, the, the, but Mothitis, or, or the, the word that's used in, in, in Hebrew, um, limud, it means, it actually means to be taught or trained. Like that's the actual meaning of the word. Um, for example, and I'm using these verses on purpose because of something that our Lord says later, 
in Isaiah 50 and 54, we see two verses. The Lord God has given me um, the tongue of those who are taught. In, in modern English, actually, if you were to realize what that word is, you the, the tongue of those who are discipled. And then it goes on to say, All of your sons shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the prosperity of your sons. The word taught there is actually disciple. Okay, so it's saying, so all of your sons, even your, your offspring, will be discipled by the Lord. So being a disciple is synonymous with being a pupil. Okay, so the, the mindset of a disciple right off the bat is a person who is seeking instruction, not a person who is asserting um, an opinion or, or affirming a position. Okay, and that if you don't have that, that spirit, then you might think you're a disciple and not be. And that's one of the reasons for all of these questions is because in your mind, I hope that you challenge yourself to where would my mind have gone in trying to determine any of those things? Okay, would, would my mind have gone to discipleship of what ought I to do? Or would I immediately believe that I know how to decide what to do? Because a person, if your mind is, is not leaning towards the former, you don't have a spirit of discipleship. And I'm not saying that as a, as a, shut, to sh, a shut down, shut down, as I'm fobbed out right now. Um, <laughs> but to, to shoot anyone down, because sometimes I'm sarcastic, so I'm not trying to say you're all idiots. That's not my objective, um, even if it's true. But, um, but is to say that we need to get that mentality. So if you don't have it, you might not know. You might not have known that that's the mentality um, to have. So it's the word mathitis or disciple from now on, that, like that's the sense. It's one of becoming a student. So there's no such thing as discipleship without becoming a pupil. It is completely and totally different from this culture, right? This culture is do it yourself, right? Like the self-help section, like when I was in elementary school, was probably like only one shelf at like whatever it was, uh, Barnes and Nobles for you guys. Um, now it's probably like one of the biggest sections, right? Like in, 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 in the store, right? And, and everybody, even when I was a pharmacist, like when people would come to me like asserting what they're gonna do, I'm like, why are you asking me? Like, well, I, I read it online. Like the, if that's where like all answers are, then like, oh, don't ask me, right? But it's, it's, it's what's instilled in us, right? We'll go to the doctor with like, well, I actually did like symptomchecker.com. So I'm convinced like what I got is like an ulcer and I might have this rare cancer. So you need to order this and this and this and this and this, right? And it's, it's how we think, it's how we act, right? And if we're suspicious of someone, we'll go Google it, right, to assess them. Right, because we believe that all knowledge can be obtained by anyone and that all knowledge can be interpreted properly by anyone, um, which, is not, which is not the mentality of discipleship. So I'm not gonna spend all my time talking about why that's wrong, I'd rather talk about why this other thing is good, okay? Because it's, it's a waste of time. Um, and the meaning of the word disciple is not just about words. So it's not just etymology, okay? It's not just about language and diction and rites and rituals and traditions and, and, and things like that. Um, it's not a body of knowledge. So it's not like if I've, I've read these, this list of books and now I am, I'm good. I learned. I've, I've been discipled. Um, and that's why early discipleship actually involved leaving your life to follow the person you wanted to learn from. 
So, for example, um, Socrates discipled both Plato and Aristotle. Okay, and so Plato and Aristotle, they like in, in even in sometimes even about Greek culture, discipleship actually was like, no, it's not enough for me to hear the words. Like I could go attend anybody's lecture. I actually need to observe their whole life. And so they would follow the, the teacher, the Abba, the Rabbi, the Master, whatever title they gave in different cultures and different religions, and they would live with them so that they could actually observe everything um, because it's not just about the words. Anybody can, you can, you can give a lecture about something, but if, you're, if your life doesn't match it, then is, are the words that profitable, right? Or is that person reasonable to be taught from? Um, and this is actually why our Lord uh, made a comment to the Jews when they, when they were having a tongue war. Um, the Jews were flipping out and, and at Christ's statements. And they said, well, you know what? Um, we're sons of Abraham, right? Which was supposed to carry like weight. Um, like that, that Jesus was to back down and be like, oh man. Um, but his response was like, no, you're not. <laughs> he was like, if you were sons of Abraham, you would do as Abraham did, but you don't. So you're not sons of Abraham. Right? To, to, to show that it's not about whether you make a claim of attachment to an individual. It's about whether or not you are personifying that person's um, instruction. Right? And we're going to talk later that that doesn't mean becoming a, a replica. Okay? So it doesn't mean d delete your personality and become the personality of one teaching you. But it means, did I take these, these principles, these, these things that I was taught? Um, and actually, something that you might not have realized is that this is what the apostles, this is what the twelve disciples did. Um, I'm going to read it from here. It's just I have it kind of small. Um, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." The the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and said to them. What do you seek? So he's saying, what do you want? Right? Like, it's kind of weird you're following me. Um, and they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour, um, 4 p.m. Um, one of the two who had heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Christ, to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So the disciples wanted to be disciples. Okay, so I, like, they, they, they wanted to be with the Lord to, to learn, right? Because John, who they were with prior to this, um, had said, like, I'm, I'm the, for, the forerunner. Like, he, he told them, there's somebody who's coming, he's the real deal. I'm not the real deal. So when, when John identifies him saying, this is the guy, right, they, they want to go with him. But they can't be like, so can we come over? Um, which is what they wanted. And so instead they were like, so where are you staying? Um, like, th this is actually what the dialogue is really happening, right? Is that he's saying, so where are you at? Um, because they're hoping that the response of, of our Lord would be like, you can come, 
right? And, and, and they did this by calling him teacher, right? By saying, we identify you as that. And so we want to be disciples. And so he gave an invitation. He said, come and see. And from that day, they abode with him. So now these disciples um, are actually living with Christ. Like, I don't know why in my mental image growing up, I didn't, I didn't envision that. Like, I kind of assumed it, but didn't really realize what that looked like. Right? That they, like, our Lord lived somewhere. Right? Like, he didn't live in a tent. Um, so that suddenly these people actually now live with him and they're on the road with him and they eat with him and they dine with him and everything they do is with him, right? So that their discipleship is one of a whole person, right? Because it's, it's now not just, I mean, many people heard the sermons, right? But they weren't all disciples, right? And that, there's a reason why they could write what they wrote after the fact, because they could say, we get it. We were with him, right? So we know what he meant. We know what the context was when this happened because we were there and we know how he speaks. So I actually want to spend a little bit of time talking about the life of Christ because that is the ultimate discipleship is to him, right? It's not to a human being, um, to just a human being, I should say, um, even if we may be disciples um, um, as humans. But our discipleship is first and foremost always to the Lord God, okay? So... The first thing is that our Lord was born of need. Um, and by that, I mean that um, humanity was kind of in a pickle because um, it had failed. Um, is that when God created humanity, as we review every single GYP, um, is that he created humans with an identity, which is his own image and likeness. Right? And he said that this is what I desire for you, is to be my, my own children, and this is what you look like, right? is, to, is, is me. Your characteristics are all relative attributes of the absolute that is in me. And if you maintain these things, you'll have life. Right? You as a human being, you're mortal. Um, you don't get to the immortal by nature, not because of anything other than that you're simply not me. Um, but I'll give it to you. Right? I'm saying, I'll give it to you as a gift. But I can, this, 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 this immortality and this incorruption can only happen by our unity with one another. So I can't dwell with sin. It's, it's not my nature. Okay? And that's, it's not that I hate you, right? It's that, that it can't happen, as we always repeat. It's like light and dark. But the two just, they don't go together. Right? So man fell, as we know. Man wasn't forsaken by God. God sent prophets, God outreached, people didn't care. They're like, peace out, we don't want you. So he's like, all right, let's reboot, let's try again, right? Didn't happen. So then he makes a deal with an individual, Abraham, right? And says, if you will be mine, I will be yours, right? I will hook you up with all the stuff that you're all interested in, um, but just keep the covenant, which is righteousness, which is holiness. Okay, that's what I'm asking from you. But man couldn't do it, right? And so... No matter what they did, no matter what outreach they got, no matter what happened, man kept failing over and over. And so God said, I need to make a new deal um, with them. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to restore it. I made this creature to be a godly creature, but the creature doesn't want to be godly. And from the amount of sin, the creature has forgotten even what it looks like to be a godly creature. So I'm going to come and I'm going to fix it. Okay? So I will be... The, the God who became the creature, 
to show the godly creature what that means. Where he literally is like, I'll show you. Okay? So you want to know what it looks like, what it meant when I said, be me in this flesh with your, your reality as a human being because you're not God? I'll show you. I will show you myself. Okay? And this is why he's the ultimate source of discipleship. Right? Is because he's the perfect model. Literally. Right? Of saying, this is how you do it. Um, and so he came, he came out of need. So he's coming with a mission. He's coming with an objective. Right? To teach us, to restore us the knowledge of God, um, to restore all that we had lost from the fall, which was holiness, righteousness, and corruption, the Holy Spirit, this unity of God, all of these things he's fixing step by step in what we call the economy. Okay? He was born of prophecy, so people had an idea about his coming. Um, there was prophecies about where he'd be born, there was prophecies about um, what city he would be raised in there's prophecies about him going to egypt there are prophecies about the, his lineage there was prophecies about his the manner the manner of his death there is there's prophecies galore and so this is the context in which he he comes right and this is why this is why there's a lot of angst around him um, when there's news about him being born and he was born very very humbly um and that He's a, he's a king, like he's the king of kings. And he was born in, in a really cheap manger on the stables of a hotel. And what some of you might not um, realize is that he was born in scandal. Um, because we gloss things over, everything is really like whitified and, and like made cute in the, in the gospels and the pictures of like, oh, this is so nice. Um, it wasn't nice at all. Um, in in middle in Mediterranean culture, um, for those of you who have maybe had more ties to, to Eastern cultures because it's very similar to this day, like the family is the family, like it's the whole, it's everybody, right? It's not just your immediate brother and sister, it's the cousins, it's the aunts, it's the uncles. And so like, if you were to go to Egypt, for example, and be like, oh, I'm getting a hotel, they'd be like, what do you mean you're getting a hotel? No, you're staying with us. And you're like, well, I want privacy. Like, no, you don't, right? You're, <laughs> you're coming over. This is how things worked. And yet, even though Joseph and Mary theoretically are coming, their, their roots are, are Bethlehem, none of their family is opening the door. And there's a reason. Because the Virgin Mary, to them, was no virgin. Because she got pregnant when they were, preg when they were engaged. This is scandalous. That is a shameless woman in the view of the people. And so these people are shutting their doors to them. Because this woman is a woman of, of sin, and they're going to bring their shame upon the whole household if they let them in. This is like the, that they even had to go to an inn is a problem, and then when they go to the inn, there's not a room. This is, this is what our Lord is born into, right? This is, this is not the image that many of us have in our, in our mind of how things went, right? This is, this is why Joseph wanted to divorce Mary, right? He was going to try and do it quietly, like it says that he didn't want to... He didn't want to shame her, like, but he was like, I, I should obviously divorce, right? And I mean, really, genuinely, how many people, they're like, yeah, I, I didn't do anything. <laughs> like, the Holy Spirit made me pregnant. That had never happened in history, and it has never happened since, right? So it's not like, it's, it's understandable that people were like, right, Holy Spirit. Um, like, that doesn't make sense to any of them. But he's born in scandal, Okay, um, and this is this is a heavy burden. 
Um, so the born humbly is not just about being in a manger, but it's about being born to, to outcasts now. Like it's, it's, it's something difficult. He has an identity just as we do. He is the son of God. He is the son of God by, by, by nature. And we are sons and daughters of God by grace. But our, our identities are the same. Um, he was born in a manger, as we said, to a poor family that had scandal. And really nobody that important came to see him at his birth. Right? Like the shepherds, like, sorry, like that's not really exciting, um, like, at all. Right? Like, it would be like, I don't know, like if the 7-Eleven workers came to congratulate you, is, is very different from like, I don't know, the governor. Um, or like the, th- the, the three wise men that were foreigners, right? Like, that, like that's, not, that's not prestige. Um, and then within no time, like we said, there was prophecies. Herod, who was a villain in the Bible, but he was actually one of the greatest kings that, that, that Jerusalem ever saw from a political standpoint. Um, got a little antsy, right? He's like, oh, is this the, is this the kid that's going to overthrow me? Um, and so he's like, well, <laughs> we can fix this. Let's just kill everyone. Um, and, he, and he did, except one. Um, and so he's a refugee, right? The Holy Family, like, they become refugees. I mean, we have nice icons where they're, like, on a donkey, and it's cute, but they're refugees, okay? Like, they're literally going to land with a language they don't speak, a currency they don't have, with money they don't have, right? Among people who have a completely different culture, right? And, and that's not an easy situation to be in. And that was three years, three and a half years, according to tradition, right, of being exiled to a foreign land. Um, and then on whim, just being like, hey, Joseph, get up and, and go back. Um, they, were, they were, it was not an easy existence um, in a secular sense at all. Um, and then his family sees hardship and difficulties. Um, he loses his foster father, right? Which means we have no idea how old our Lord was when, when Joseph passed away. Um, we know that he married Mary when he was very old, so we have no idea. But now you've got a single mom, right? Like there are many things that we don't think about in, in, in the life of Christ that can relate to some very contemporary issues. Um, and so Mary's raising him as a single mom. And obviously our Lord had to work for the money um, to, support his, to support his mother. And a carpenter, a tradesman, in Mediterranean culture in the first century is the second to the lowest class. So the highest class, so in those days, money was not the be all end all, food was, okay? Because if you couldn't get access to food, then it didn't matter how much money you had, you didn't eat, you'd you'd die like anybody else. Food was number one. So the first class, the upper class, the highest class were landowners. They they had the land, they owned the farms. Um, And so they, they also would have money but the more important was that they had the direct access to, to the food. Underneath them were, were, were a group of people that are something like contractors. And so the rich people didn't want to be burdened with organizing their land and all that. So they'd have these guys that would be making agreements with workers, who's going to come and, and till the land, where it's like, I don't care what you do. I want to see my food. I want to see my money. And that person in return was guaranteed food, 
right? So they were, and they were respected because they, they got to interact with, with the elite. They lived in cities, okay? Only, only the rich lived in cities. This is why throughout the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus is not ever in the cities. He's only in the cities at the feasts. Um, once, or once or twice goes to Capernaum. Um, other than that, he, it's always he's on the road or he's in the villages with all the poor people, okay? Underneath them were your workers of the land, okay? Or your fishermen. So these people had access to food by working the land for the rich. So you would, you, what they would sometimes do is say, well, if you till my land, I'll give you like this four by four or whatever dimension they give them, you can grow food for your family. So you're, you're able to sustain yourself. Or if you're a fisherman, it was like, I'm gonna work someone else's boats, uh, but I get to take fish home to my family. I'm gonna be able to eat. But a tradesman is actually the, the step beneath him. So a tradesman um, is somebody who basically could only live if people had money. Because people weren't going to buy your stuff when they don't have money. You don't have guaranteed access to food. Um, and so if you were a carpenter or if you were a welder, if you were whatever, if people didn't care about your trade, it just sucked to be you. Right? So you might have to beg. Um, you might have to do all sorts of things. And only below them were slaves, women, and children. They were at the bottom of the ladder um, because they had no identity unless rooted in a man, um, except for um, the slaves. But you, not even the slaves. Your, your identity, you had no identity. Unless you were rooted in a male figure, um, you didn't matter. So actually, this is very interesting to even realize that the disciples who follow our Lord are stepping down a class when they follow him. Um, like they're, they're of a higher status um, than our Lord was. So he had to make money as a carpenter. And the point there is to say that wasn't, that wasn't easy. It wasn't luxurious. It wasn't a, it wasn't a prestigious job. Um, and he did all of this with the knowledge of his identity and calling, right? Like these are the things like that we're going to meditate on, right? That he knew who he was. There are some... I'm not going to be insulting, but there are some people who ask questions that I think are kind of dumb. Um, like, did Jesus know he was God? Like, I, I believe so. I hope so. Um, or we have a real problem. Um, but the humility of doing that in spite of, right? Like, can you, if you can imagine, like, knowing you're the heir to the throne and working at the 7-Eleven, right? Like, like and, and you know that. And the people have no idea. Right? And, and you let people walk all over you and scream and yell at you and ask for another lighter and it's broken and give me a refund. And, and just feeling, like, I'm the king. Um, but saying nothing, right? That he absolutely did not open his mouth at any point to be like, bro, do you know what this is? Right? He doesn't, he doesn't do that. Um, so he submitted himself to two, to the will of the Father, okay? Um, and also to the will of the people. He followed, he followed the customs that were there. Um, he waited till he was 30 to begin his ministry, which was the custom of the Jews. That was the age of the calling, they would call it. Um, you weren't allowed to teach until that age. He submitted himself to that, even though, as we see, even when he was a young kid, he knew his stuff, right? He's, he's having dialogue with the, 
with the priests at the temple, and they're like, they marvel at him, like, this, this kid really gets it, um, because they don't know, right, who, who he is. Um, so he lived according to the customs of the people. He worked in the countryside and the villages with most of the normal people. Um, and then he began his ministry, and he began his ministry first, as we know, with temptation. He began his ministry with his baptism, and then an immediate going to the wilderness. And the wilderness is not this, the only period where he had temptations, because people will get that impression where it's like, he, like, he did 40 days, and, and he did his time, and he was done. Like, that's not how it worked. Um, he was tempted in every single way as we are, okay, without falling throughout his whole um, his whole entire life. Um, and then he began to preach. And his preaching was, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Um, the kingdom of heaven is here. And the kingdom of heaven is coming, which is very paradoxical. Because um, he would say both. Um, and he would go out to the people, which was different than what people were used to. Maybe only the Pharisees. The Pharisees, some people actually think that, that our Lord was, might have been a Pharisee, even though we, we look at Pharisees negatively because of how Scripture presents them. But the Pharisees, are just, they were teachers. Um, and most of them were tradesmen as well. And actually most of the people, many of the people liked the Pharisees because the Pharisees were poor like them. Um, so they felt like what they were doing was um, out of the goodness of their hearts. So obviously they had the problems, we encounter them. But um, our Lord was, was teaching and his teaching wasn't limited to any group of people, right? His teaching wasn't limited to the elite. He went to sinners and he chilled with them. Um, the Gospel of Luke is very much written like in the style you would expect of somebody who's describing like the dinner parties where everyone's having a beer and telling stories. Um, I'm not saying that, that this is what it is. I'm saying that that's the style of writing that it's written in, of, of this person who's the man of the people. That's, that's Luke. Like, that's Luke's presentation of, of, of our Lord. Um, and they challenge Jesus, right? They're, they're all staring at him like, who is this guy? Right? Like they, like they, and they're like, he's a wine bibber because he drank. So clearly he drank, right? Um, and because and, our Lord, we know, responds to them saying, what's your problem? Right? Like, John came to you as a complete ascetic eating locusts and honey and, like, dressed poorly, and you rejected him. I come to you eating and drinking with normal people, and you tell me I have a devil. Like, what, 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 what's, what's your deal? Um, because he wasn't ashamed of what he was doing, right? He was not, he was not saying, I'm going to sit with the righteous. Um, he was so scandalous in the sense that he spoke truth so boldly because it was true that it drove people crazy because they couldn't respond to him. And in Mediterranean culture, um, many of you, like, you can probably see this in your dads, um, if you come from that culture, um, the honor system, okay, which is you don't insult me or I take you down because you've taken away my dignity and my honor, right? And so, and then if someone does you a favor, you have to do the favor back or your honor's gone down because you received. We don't, we're not beggars, right? We, <laughs> we give, we don't take, 
right? And I'm going to not just give them what they gave me, I'm going to give them more, so that nobody owes me, I don't owe anyone anything, right? That I need to be the position of being owed to. This is the culture in which they're working. And so our Lord is actually tearing them apart. And they are going crazy. The Jews were going absolutely insane. And the Jews in the Gospel of John is referring to the leaders of the temple, okay? They're going nuts, right? Because they're coming at, to him, at him with these challenges, hoping to trap him every time. So it's like, so what do you think about, insert something here? And our Lord would just answer them. And then they'd be at a loss for words because it was true. Um, and so they get upset. And in that culture, when, you, when, you're, when your honor keeps going down and you approach like shame, there reaches a level where it's actually okay to take action against people, at least to envy, dolos in Greek. Um, which includes intrigue, it includes slander, it includes murder at its worst, which obviously is what it culminates in. And so people were very, very, very scandalized by our Lord, including his family. Um, in, in some of the few encounters we see, um, we see one where he goes and he's among his, his, his kinsmen and his folks, and he's preaching in the temple, and they're excited at first. And he reads scripture um, concerning himself, and he says, this day this word has come true. And this group that it says they were so excited and so happy, this president immediately are calling to throw him off a cliff, right? And that's when he's like, a prophet is not accepted in his own country, right? That was in response to his own people, right? Later on, we see um, an encounter where it says his brothers, which are his cousins in this case, um, come to him and they say, you know, it was one of the feasts, like, you should go to Jerusalem. You should go. Um, and it says explicitly, like, they didn't say this because they like him. They said it because they don't believe. Right? They're just kind of like, yeah, you should go present yourself before them. Let's see what they say about you. Right? It would be like if a family member of yours was claiming to be like, ultra-religious and you're skeptical. It would be like, yeah, you, you should go talk to Abuna about that. Um, and, and, and just see what he thinks. Right? Cause it's, it's, so it's not a praise. Right? Like, it, it's literally being like, let them own you and tell you who you really are. Right? They, were, they were very, very ashamed of him. Um, and then we see that even the people, when things got serious, would get offended by him. Right? They were really chillaxing when, when they got food. Right? But when he explains the food, they're not okay. Right? So in John 6, for example, they're feeding the multitude. Everyone's so happy they ate and drank. Right? But when the, when the food is done, he goes, now let me tell, me, tell you about what, what this is. This isn't food. This isn't real food. I am the real food. Right? He's proclaiming his identity. I proceed from the Father. I am the true manna um, that comes from heaven. And unless you eat my flesh, you're not alive. And unless you drink my blood, you're not alive. And you can't live in God. And he would constantly say the most scandalous things because what he was saying was the name of God. So many people are like, Jesus never explicitly called himself God. I'm like, no, because you don't read. You don't read and you don't, you don't know the original language. He said it extremely explicitly. All of the I am statements are statements of calling himself God. Because, and, and, and actually, a, 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 maybe a sharper translation of the I am statements is saying, I am is the bread of life. I am is, is, is the true light. I am is the way. Um, and when he meets the Samaritan woman, who we talked about last week, it's actually one of the most epic moments in the Gospel of John that's mostly lost on us because of not knowing what he said to her, 
right? Because this 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 filthy woman who's like had like five husbands, um, and is an outcast and is out by the well. He takes her step by step, and finally at the end of the conversation, when she's saying, "I heard there's going to be this guy who's going to do this and this and this and this," and basically not basically what he says to her is, "The one who is standing before you is I am." That's what he said. The only person in history who had had that revelation is Moses. Right? Moses is the only other one who had received the, the, the name of God from God himself. From the word of God himself. Right? And so this was scandalous. And so we see, for example, in the Bread of Life sermon, right, is that the people, like not an Abbey, um, you crossed the line. And they get up and they, they literally leave. Like, they're like, no, 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 thanks for the food, but like, you're, you lost it. Okay? And so he immediately looks at the disciples and said, are you offended too? Like, you can go, right? And then Peter, always the quickest to speak, um, sometimes gets it right, sometimes not. This time he got it right. Um, was, who, to whom else shall we go? Right? From you, from you receive the words. I don't know if he meant it, but um, he ends up dying for it, so I think he did. Um, but he wasn't, as, he wasn't really that well received. So people like noise, right? People like... Like, imagine, like, when you hear, like, oh, that guy is a miracle worker, right? So you can have an opinion, whatever you want, and talk about it and gossip about it, and, and be like, oh, wow, that's amazing, and form opinions and have debates, until you encounter the person, right? It's completely different when that person enters among you, right? So many people had heard of Jesus and had opinions, but it was different when, when, you, inter when you interacted with him, when you encountered him, when you saw his teaching, because it was different. That's why they said he spoke as one having authority and not like the scribes. And not like the Pharisees, where it's like, no, this guy gets it, right? And you've probably even, you've heard it probably in some people's sermons or, or, or speeches or different servants where you're like, there's a, there's a talk, you're just kind of like, yeah, 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 right? Like, same old. And then there's another person where just there's something in this person speaking, and it's not even necessarily the words, you're like, that guy's different. Like, there's, there's something different about that person. There's something more real. Um, this is the authority with which the Lord spoke, because he is the word. Right? He is the one who is in the bosom of the Father. Um, so like I said, he did this all with the knowledge of his identity and calling. He submitted himself. Um, he worked. He spoke to the, the word of God to all the people, irrespective of who they were. He was rejected by family and friends, his own people, Gentiles and Samaritans. And he did his work anyway. Right? He, he, he didn't stop and be like, they don't like me. Um, he, he kept going. He did miracles, many, many miracles, um, which is important because today, for some reason, we think that that's not allowed anymore. Um, he was scandalous, as we said. And I, I really want to emphasize the scandalous part like, because I really don't think we, we can ap appreciate it. Like, like the scene like where the woman comes in and starts washing his feet, like... And wiping the hair, like I want, I'm gonna be like almost vulgar in my comparison. I'm sorry, but like I'm not trying to be inappropriate. I just want you to realize what this is like. This would be like, I don't know, if 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 me and a bunch of you guys went out to a restaurant and some like a hooker jumps in my lap, and you guys are like, oh my lord, and I'm like, leave her alone, chill. This is what it was like to them. It was like, who is this shameless woman who's walking into some guy's house without a man who thinks it's okay to touch him like that, okay? 
And every, that's why it says, like, Simon is like, dude, no. Um, and and, our, and our, our Lord looks at him and is like, what's your problem? Um, he's like, you weren't nice to me. You didn't wash my feet, which was a custom. We're going to talk about that. You didn't do that. She's doing it, right? And this is actually, I never understood before why it says that Judas, like, the, this story ends with, and Judas goes to the high priest. That's why. Like, Judas is like, this is not the guy, right? Look, <laughs> like, he just crossed the line, okay? He's talking about destroying the temple. Uh, no, right? Like, th- we think the Messiah is going to restore the temple. And here's like, I'm going to tear it down. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then this lady is in there, right? And he's like, no, this is good. She's, she's preparing me. And they're like... I don't know what kind of prep you do, okay? But this, this is not acceptable to us. But this is, this is how they're seeing him, right? This is, this is again, we, we need to delve into the world of the Bible, not just the, the surface words. If we're going to understand the, the immensity of the Lord's work of whom we are called to mimic, right, when we do things. I'm not saying, oh, like, oh, go sit at the corner of whatever bad corner there is, right? And be like, Jesus did it. Um, but to say, like, this is the way he interacted. He knew the heart of those who were coming to him, right? He knew what this woman was coming with. And he was gentle. He was only, he was only abra- abrasive with the arrogant, right? That was, they, was, they were the only ones he was abrasive with. And they all happened to be the leaders of the people, the priests like myself um, and, and the leaders, Right? Because they were the ones who were supposed to be shepherding and who were in no way shepherding in the right way. Um, so they were the ones he told off. Um, but we see images, for example, the Samaritan woman, where it says, no, I have work that... I, he's like, the story starts saying, I need to go to Samaria. Jesus didn't need to go to Samaria. Okay? Like physically, he did not need to go to Samaria. He did not need to go there geographically. It meant that, no, I, need, I have a specific mission trip to this woman, okay? Um, when the woman was caught in adultery, like, I, I, I know I repeat that story so much just because, to me, it's one of the most moving stories that I don't, like, I, I don't know many people who are like that today, right? Like, where this woman's caught in sin, right? Like, it's, like, there's no question about it, right? And I can't, I cannot imagine, like, I want you to imagine being that adulterer or adulteress, and being caught red-handed, and literally being dragged out publicly to be shamed, and for the people who are dragging you to be calling for your immediate death. That's what they're doing. They're saying, she must die. She ought to be stoned. What do you think, Jesus? Right? That, that's, what they're, that's what they're presenting. And, and the Lord's response, I don't think anybody would have expected Right? Where he's just, it says he's quiet. He's very quiet for a while. Um, and he just looks at them and says, Okay, whoever among you is without sin, throw the first stone. Right? And then when they leave, right, his reaction to her is not like, Okay, they're gone, let me tell you now. Like, that was stupid. Right? Like, like that's, that's not his, his reaction. Right? His reaction is, Woman, like, my lady. Like, he, he dignifies her. Where are your accusers? Right? And I can only imagine the, like, the fear in her before hearing those words, expecting there to still be condemnation. Right? And yet he's not. He said, no, I don't accuse you either. Because who is the accuser? 
The name Satan means accuser. He's like, I'm not Satan. I'm not your accuser. So you're free, right? Just go, don't do it again. That's it, right? This was his interaction with, with the sinners, Zacchaeus, right? He, he went, he honored that Zacchaeus wanted to know who he was, so he goes to his house. Yeah, I'll chill with you. Right? And he didn't go and be like, all right, now that I'm here, like, can we have a talk about your scandal here, bro? Like, like the money thing? Nah, right? Is he, he just accepts. He, he dignifies humanity, right? And there is the consequence of this encounter with Christ is what changes people, right? He, has, he doesn't actually demand anything from anybody, not when he heals, not when he forgives, right? He instructs occasionally and says, don't do this because um, it's not good for you, but he's, he never did anything else. This is the person of, of our Lord. Um, he did miracles. He was scandalous. Um, he was compassionate. He played with kids. Um, and he witnessed to the truth. He was envied, despised, rejected. And then he is put on trial, right? Which is the culmination of, of Lent in the end, um, where they're like, no, enough is enough. Let's put the guy on trial. Um, and so he's convicted. He's a, he's a wrong, like, it'll be a great case for the Innocence Project. Um, wrongfully convicted. Um, and owned, really, right? Like, he's just, like, they're not, they're not satisfied with his death. Why? Because they've been shamed this whole last three and a half years, right? That they're like, no, 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 I'm getting my honor back. So they're spitting on him, right? They're insulting him, and they're like, oh, you thought you were going to win? No, you've lost. And they did win. They did win in the honor-shame contest. They completely won. They killed him. There could have been, and, and not only they killed him, they said, you know what? Let's hand you to the unclean. We're going to give you to the Gentiles to slay you. And I want to make a gruesome point again, because our crosses are like really pretty now. Um, they were not pretty. Okay, the cross was the most disgusting, scandalous, and most perverse way of killing people. Um, what they did is they had you go on a walk of shame. That was why he had to carry the cross and go. It was meant to be a walk of shame. So that everybody would deride you and spit on you and mock you and call you names because you were being crucified, which meant that you were disgusting. And so everybody, that, and you were naked. There's none of this loincloth business that we have. You were, you were, you were ashamed, like you were bare, so that everybody could see and you had no dignity. And then sometimes with these, with, these, with these murders, which is what they are, sometimes they would slaughter your family in front of you while you're crucified and held up because you couldn't do anything but cry out. And to get ultra graphic, occasionally they would shove a spear up the anus through the, through the skull. So this is filthy. Okay, this is not like, uh, it's not like, like the movies where it's like, I mean, the passion really gets it to like a, a high degree. Um, it just doesn't capture... The, the cultural context of how shameful that is. That's why Romans were not crucified, right? Where like that shame is not allowed for a Roman citizen, period. Like that was because they realized there's nothing worse than this. So that even a Roman in his death wouldn't be allowed. That's why St. Paul gets beheaded while Peter gets crucified. So it's not pretty, right? There's, there's nothing pretty about it. He suffers, he's in agony. Right? He has these prayers in, 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 in the garden, and his friends ditch him. Right? His friends ditch him. His friends, they take off. In the Gospel of John, one stands by. Um, it's actually the social rejects, the, the women with no identities. They're the only ones. They're the only ones that are with him. 
right? The, the rest actually don't. None of the men were regela, none of them were men. Um, they all bezounced, um, again, except for, for John. And then he rises, right? This is the, the miracle of Christianity. He sends out the disciples to disciple, and those disciples include us. So what is the point of all of that? Is WWJD bracelets? Like, get real. Okay, in the sense of it's it's a good it's it's a good statement, but do you do you know what Jesus did? Do you know how Jesus lived? Do you know what his work was like? Do you know how he thought? Do you know what he taught? Do you know how he approached things? Right, because how do you WWJD and like wave a wristband um, if you don't know? Right, like this is who this is why the core the foundation has to be in scripture. It has to be. Um, in the Gospels. So then the next question is, is there, is there a call to discipleship? And to that I would say, yeah and no. Um, in the sense that the purpose of discipleship is really to recover our identity. Um, so in that regard, everyone is supposed to already be on the path. So in that sense, like that you don't really need to be invited. Um, but yes, in the sense that it's a call to recover what you ought to, and it's up to you to do that or not. It's up to you whether you want to do that or not. And that's why he uses language like, all who would be my disciples must, right? And he's, the would is, is putting in that, that option, um, making the option of it's up to you to, to do this or not. But at the same time, it's not, because he says, okay, if any man, right, there's the clause, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose, and whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save him. But then Jesus actually says to make disciples of all nations. This traditioning that we're talking about at the beginning is the instruction, because the language is very, very clear here. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, this is after the Lord rose, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, they, they, they bowed before him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing. So the, the, the first commandment is make them disciples, make them pupils, right? Like the apostles are sent to make disciples, right? So the church has always been founded on this discipleship. They would then emulate the disciples and say, I lived with him and this is what I learned. And that's why even in the early church, we would look at as long as we could, this lineage of discipleship. Right, where it'd be like, oh good, Polycarp was a disciple of John. And so Polycarp is sound. I can take Polycarp's word better than I can someone else's, right? The, the kid who fell off the balcony and died, um, that St. Paul raises up because the kid was bored out of his mind from a really long talk. Um, he still gets discipled, right? I think the kid became a bishop, lucky guy. Um, so you can sleep and still get a bishop. Um, but all of these people were disciples and they were called to disciple. Um, sorry, I'm almost done. I didn't mean to go this long. I'm sorry. Um, and so we are all called to be disciples and to disciple, right? Like the, the job of discipling is not, is not a commission only to the, to the priesthood. Um, but we are all called to, to disciple to the best of our ability. So what was his mission? Christ made it very clear. To do the will of the Father. 
That was always what he said. Um, that was his food. And they said, what food do you have? And he goes, I have food you don't understand. I, my food is to do the will of the Father. Right? That was, that was his, his mission. To utter to humanity what our Lord hears in the bosom of the Father, where he always is and always was and always will be. He's always in the bosom of the Father. Uttering to humanity the things that we cannot access because no man has seen God at any time. No man can see the Father. It's impossible. Right? That's why in our tradition, in the Oriental Orthodox tradition, we don't depict icons of the Father. Um, that I've seen new ones like mimicking other traditions, but we've never had this tradition. No one has seen the Father. Right? And that, that was there. And that's why Christ said, when, when the disciples were like, show us the Father. Um, and he was like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I'm his word. Because, and later on, I was like, because no one can see God. Um, but I who am before you is the I am. Your mom's calling again, David. Um, so it's the will of the Father. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is very important, because the foundation of mimicking Christ is to do the will of the Father. So tomorrow we're going to be talking about getting rid of your will. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of that, all of that was being given to me, but raise it up at the last day. For I've come down from heaven, sorry, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Is to say, I want to restore you. I want to give you back what you had lost, like, out of, out of our goodwill. Um, and then the Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, isn't this Jesus? the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered, don't murmur among yourselves. It's like this, like, and he's like, get over it. Like, I hear you. I'm not deaf. Um, but no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. Um, and this is to tie it to the verse that I said to you guys at the beginning, because he then says, it is written within the prophets, and they shall be discipled by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except him who is from God. He has seen the Father, and then he says, and that's me. Um, so this is epic. Okay, like He's saying that, that the mission was to do the will of the Father, and he quotes the very verse that we quoted, as we said from Isaiah, and how it comes true through him. Because nobody else knows the mind of the Father. Um, in fact, as we said earlier, he said that the very substance of living is to do God's will. That's a discipleship. Okay? That's, that, that is what discipleship is. He wants us to eat this as well. And he says that everyone who has to eat the food, he eats. Um, so what he's saying is if you eat this, okay, if you eat the food that I, that I give you, if you eat me, it's to be doing the will of the Father. But it goes further than that because it's not just doing a series of functions or activities, right? It's not that. Um, but what is doing the will of the Father is believing, knowing, indwelling. Um, it's, this, it's this world of, of God that's completely different. It's the world of the Spirit, okay? We're in the material world, the, wor the world that became, when the Word became flesh. Everything here is finite, your bodies, your books, your everything. And he's like, I, I, I come from another world. I'm from the world of ising, right? I'm in the world where a thing just is. That's it. There's nothing else that I can say about it because it just is. It exists, period. That's why it's my name. Because there's nothing else to it. This exists in spite of you and all creation comes out of me. Um, and this is why he has this cool dialogue with Pilate. Um, 
because he's saying my will is different. Mine is a, another world. And Pilate's like, are, are, are you the king? Right? They're, you're, they're, they're, they're saying you're the king. And he says, yeah, I am. But I'm, my kingdom's not here. Like, if, if, if my kingdom were here, I'd have armies coming in and like beating up your people and all that stuff. But it's not my army. Um, my army's there. And you don't have power over me except that the real king gave you authority to do this. But you don't even have the greatest sins. The guys that gave, you to, gave me to you, they do. But yeah. And Pilate's. Pilate's actually not sarcastic. Pilate sees something real in this, and he's like, he goes, he goes I, my kingdom is the kingdom of truth. And Pilate's just like, what's truth? Right? Like, that's, that's literally his, some of my favorite lines in, in The Passion. Um, it's so dramatic. Um, but it's, it's to be a follower of the truth. Okay? This is what it means to be um, a disciple. It's to understand the truth now, not just to know words, it's to recognize the truth. Because somebody could say right things and be wrong. Or you can be like, no, no, like, those words are right, but something's really wrong, right? Like, um, there's a ur- Christian urban legend, which is not that funny at all, but um, it works for this example, where one person was contemplating suicide, which is obviously not funny, and they open the Bible at random, and the verse they open to is, that what you do, do quickly, right? And it's like, it's from the gospel, Right, like, but that's clearly not supposed to be the use of it. Um, so, to be a follower of the truth, understand the truth. To be a king is not to go to war. The real, the, to be, the real kingdom is the realm of of truth. I'm gonna try and skip because I'm sorry. Um, so he told us that we ought to do the same. So you have to make a decision. You have to make a decision about discipleship. Okay. Um, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yea, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He cannot. Um, he didn't mince words. There was no like, well. Um, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He's laying out the conditions. He's like, there are conditions. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Hate is not like the words that we mean today of like, I detest you, I despise you. Obviously, God never wanted us to hate anyone in the social meaning today of hate. Hate means to not choose. It's a tribal thing, right? So to say that you love something is the thing that you choose. This is why, for example, the Old Testament, he says, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. He didn't hate Esau. He actually blessed Esau. Um, but it means that I chose to make my covenant with, 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 with Jacob. I, made, I chose him. So that's the one that I love. So by de facto default, the one that I didn't choose is the one that I hate. It's, it's an objective thing. It's not an, and it's not an emotional thing. And so he's saying, yeah, yeah, love family, but you have to love me more. I have to come first. Because family doesn't have meaning other than my existence. There's no such thing as mother or father if I did not make a thing called mother and father. And so, don't worship the gift I gave you. You have to follow the one who made the gift, okay? So, it has meaning because of me. So, choose me first. If you can't accept suffering, don't come. Because this is not a road of, of, of skipping hands, skipping or holding hands in the meadow and singing Kumbaya on the fire, okay? You might do that on, on the treacherous road, um, but that's not the road, okay? It's, it's, it's not the lovey-dovey um, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus song. Um, Though those sometimes can be comforting. Um, and it says, don't be attached to anything. 
anything above me. Those are the conditions of discipleship. And each of you has to make a conscious decision about whether you're entering that or not. Because he says in another place, you can't serve me and money. Sorry. Like, and insert money, replace money with anything you want. You have to make a conscious decision. And you can't turn back. When you started, halas. Right? He says, he who has put his hand to the plow, don't turn around. Okay? This is, this is a route when you get on it. Like, and there's joys of discipleship. We'll talk about that. But that's where it goes. So the major points here to summarize is that we don't live according to our own will but the will of the Father. Okay? This is the foundation of discipleship is not your will but God's or as our Lord said in the garden not my will but thine. What that looks like is the life of Christ which is love. Okay? Which is to deny yourself completely to deny your will that's going to be the next talk it's to suffer um which will be the third talk and it's identity which we're not going to have a talk about um and there's much more there's no way in four talks that we can cover all of discipleship and one of them is to heal other people um that that's something that a real disciple should be able to do um and finally he who says i know him but disobeys his commandment is a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word in him truly love for god is perfected by this we may be sure that we are in him he who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked and glory be to god forever and ever any questions comments criticisms sorry i didn't realize that that was that long uh, I don't even know what I'm asking, so bear with me here. Um, so Idiot. <laughs> Jehovah Witnesses are made fun of a lot for going out and speaking the word. Obviously, I, you know, I, I admire their dedication and their courage to go from door to door and speak the word. When, when did our church kind of transition away from preaching the word that way? And because I see it as an area of opportunity for our churches to go out and speak the word and gain more followers. When did when was there a transition period when we stopped doing that? I would say Islam killed that for us, because um, I don't think it's right what we're doing. Like to be quite honest, um, that's why earlier on, like I'm not gonna agree with, for example, the anti-abortion clinics, but I but. In my mind, I'm like, why are we actually opposed that they're strongly saying that? Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to debate that right now. But I'm just saying, if we look at the witness of Christ or his disciples or something like John the Baptist who said to Herod, you're wrong, right? Very, very openly. Um, I think what happened with Islam is that it was going to cost everyone's lives. Um, and so the church turned inward instead of outward because the early church, even the, the early Alexandrian church specifically, was very missionary. We had missionaries to Ethiopia. Um, one of our bishops went to India. Um, it was like, it was not a limited thing. Actually, um, in Ireland, there's a tomb to the seven unknown Coptic monks that, that actually are believed to be the first bearers of Christianity before St. Patrick, actually. Um, so the church had that um, mentality, it had that mindset, but now we're all about 
Um, no, 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 only by actions. And, I, and I'm not under, I, actions are compulsory, um, but we're necessary words too. Um, like, I, I, don't, I don't think it's wrong. I actually used to mock the Protestants straight up, like with their whole, like, are you saved business. And I'm not a particular fan of the methodology of all of them. But today I actually very admire them too, where I'm just like, actually, thank you for having the boldness to speak when the rest of us are actually being silent. Um, even like things like they're doing like with, with video and film, um, it's impressive, right? Like that they don't care. They're like, no, let's get this in mainstream media. Let's find platforms to speak. Um, definitely, like, I think that's where it is. And I also think we, we've got to move out of that. Um, each according to his calling or her calling, right? Some, some are not gonna be able to witness in that way. There's something I come across with an atheist that I really, like he said something that I really liked. Um, he was talking about a Protestant friend of his who, um, who, who really wanted to save him because like you're going to hell and so when he was telling the story he, I don't remember which guy was he was famous but people were laughing like ah ha ha the Protestant who told him that he's like no actually I respect him because he was like he believes what he's saying so he, he really is actually worried that I'm going to go to hell so it's really nice that he cares that much about me to say it I don't agree with him but I, I really like that he cares I, I, that made me really respect that atheist too, right? Of, of, of like, it's, we assume that it's always going to be poorly received. And one of the reasons why I said Trump to see reaction was, are you conditioned by everything you hear and say and what everything in culture is saying that you react how you're expected to react, right? Where whoever here is pro-Trump is, is probably really quiet when everyone laughs, right? Like, because they go, they laughed, I better not be that guy. Um, or when somebody makes a joke about, oh yeah, like that scandal, like the priests are all abusing kids, and they're like, yeah, um, like is that? Those are the opportunities to 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 speak, even if it's by keeping silent. That's a form of speech, um, of not laughing. That's a point of speech, but we have to come back to those foundations. Sorry, I digress a little bit. Saint Macarius the Great and all your saints. I'm Pope Corlus and Saint Nino and pray for Thanksgiving. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And grant us this our Lord, and our eyes and evil our Lord. The love of God, the Father, the Son, the God, the Son, the King, so let's pray for you. Don't go in peace yet. <laughs> but the peace of the Lord be with you anyway. <laughs> <laughs>